into the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy uh, tonight to chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be able to be here uh, and in this place. Uh, thank you for each one that has come out to, uh, tonight and put the cares of the world to the side uh, to come tonight and to hear your word and to worship and honor uh, your name, Lord. I pray that you would uh, bless us like we know only you can. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So we kind of started this morning uh, a series that um, uh, we're going to probably continue for the next couple weeks uh, just on uh, the advice for the journey, this journey uh, that we are on. Um, uh, Paul calls it a race. Um, whatever analogy you want to use, uh, we are on a, a journey, a journey uh, of, uh, of life. And uh, on this journey, there are ups and downs, there's ins and outs. Uh, on this journey, there should be um, uh, times that uh, we're looking uh, for opportunities to be able to serve the Lord. And, um, you know, it's an interesting thing that we have an understanding or we know that when we come to church, we serve the Lord, right? We look for opportunities. Um, some of you teach our children. Some of you uh, sing. Some of you uh, teach Sunday school, work in the nursery, work in VBS, and, and work in the, in the sound booth, and, and, uh, and, and just different areas uh, that we find opportunities uh, to be able to serve the Lord. But... Um, serving the Lord goes past church, right? Goes past church time. Um, we ought to be looking for opportunities uh, to be able to serve the Lord and um, uh, be a benefit and a help to others uh, wherever, uh, wherever we go. Do we have our eyes open? Are we paying attention? If you're anything like me, some of you are, are, are not when it comes to this. Some of you are very uh, observant, but I can promise you, I could be, well, now, now for sure with my eyesight, but even before, um, I could be in a store, you could, you could just about walk up to me and I'd not see you. I've had people come to me afterwards and say, well, I see you ignored me when I was in Walmart. No, I didn't even, I didn't even, I didn't ignore you. By the way, if I ignored you, I wouldn't even have went down that aisle, okay? I would have, I would have avoided you altogether, right? So, so sometimes I'm just not very observant. Sometimes, when I'm driving, I don't know how many times I've had people come up beside me and tell me later, I came up beside you, I waved, I honked, I did everything you did. But if I was listening to a song or listening to a sermon or I was trying to pay attention to what I was, what I was doing ahead, man, sometimes I'm just, you ever get that way? Sometimes you're just like this. And sometimes we miss so much spiritually because we're like this. It's good to have goals. It's good to be goal-oriented, right? When I'm when I'm going somewhere, I want to go from A to B, right? I want to, I want to, I don't want, I want to get there. When I'm writing a sermon... I generally, doesn't, I generally don't like to write sermons over a period of time. I generally like to sit down, and if it takes me, you know, 
six, seven, eight hours to do it, I, I'll, I like to write it all out all at one time. And, um, and I get focused on it. If I wake up in the middle of the night, anybody ever do this? Anybody? You wake up in the middle of the night and you have an idea? Well, generally, I'll wake up or I haven't been sleeping and I'll be sitting there and about two o'clock in the morning, I'll think to myself, huh, that's a pretty good sermon illustration. Or maybe that's a good idea for a sermon series. And I'll grab whatever's closest, whether that be a napkin or an envelope or a piece of paper, whatever's closest to me, I'll grab and I'll start writing. Now, sometimes it's just an idea and I'll write the idea down and I'm good. But sometimes, ah, it's the Lord, I guess, does just let, let me go to sleep. And I just write and I write and I write. And I'm, fo- and I'm completely focused. My kids could walk in the room. Wendy could wake up. I'm, but I'm focused on what I'm doing. And that's not a bad thing. But if we're not careful, we can get so focused on what we're doing that we miss the needs of other people. We miss the opportunities. And we pray this prayer. Lord, just today, just give me an opportunity to be able to serve you. And I could just imagine the Lord up in heaven going, what did you think yesterday was? How many times did I pass this by you? How many times did, did this happen? How many, to- how many opportunities did I give you that you just completely ignored? Now, the Lord doesn't speak to us audibly, but can you imagine if he did speak to us audibly? What are you talking about, give you opportunity? How many more opportunities do you want me to give you? Start paying attention to what God has put before you and find uh, an opportunity to be a help and a blessing. There are people that are really good at that. And there's others that have to work at it. But we should all be part of it when it comes to being goers, when it comes to being doers of, uh, of God's word. It could be something so simple. It could be something profound. It could be something that is a huge blessing to somebody else. It could be something that that other person don't even know you did. Has anybody ever done something for you and, and, uh, and you don't even know who that person was? You're just dying to thank that person, but you don't know who it is because they wanted to do it anonymously. They wanted to be a, a blessing to you anonymously. And, and what a blessing that is that, that people are oriented that way. Do you know, all of us as God's people need to get oriented that way. Figure out how we can be a blessing. Figure out how we can be a help. Whether it be a small way or a large way, it doesn't have to be huge. It can just be something. I'll give you, I'll give you a, 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 a recent example. Miss Howard uh, came up to me, uh, I don't know, a couple Sundays ago, and she said, I know, uh, I know how much you love Bibles, and um, I want you to add this to your collection. And she gave me this. Now, she, she did it so nonchalantly. She gave it to me, and it's in this old bonded leather. The sides are coming apart, and 
It's not a collector's edition Bible by any stretch. And, and she gave it to me and walked away. And I opened it up. And let me tell you something. You talk about being able to read a Bible, you could probably see it from here. I mean, enormous print Bible. And I know without her even saying it, she was thinking of my eyesight and got me this Bible. And now, and, and boy, can, now I, I can't, hardly, can't hardly study out of it because it's so big. And by the way, we have one of the biggest pulpits in America, I think. I love our pulpit. And it takes up the, almost the entire pulpit. And, uh, but, but I can see it. And, and, I, and I think to myself, however it happened or wherever she was or whether she found it somewhere in a thrift store or whatever, she was thinking about me. I thought, what a blessing that is. How often are we thinking about somebody other than ourselves? You know, I'm not big, I'm not a real big fan of frivolous holidays. I'm just not. I mean, there's all, I mean, there's president's holidays and there's the, this president's holiday and there's this holiday. And, and, and one of the ones that I, I, I've always observed, but I've never been a really big fan of, is Valentine's Day. Valentine's, let me tell you what Valentine's Day is. It is a money maker. You talk about, you talk about making some money. Do you know the, do you know the, the uptake the florists make on Valentine's Day? I mean, uh, uh, how much money the people that produce chocolate make on Valentine's Day? Do you realize I'm in Walmart, right? I'm walking around Walmart and, and, uh, and, and I run into this big tub of life-size teddy bears. Who in the world needs a teddy bear as big as yourself? is beyond me. And I'm looking down at this tub, $49.99. Now listen to me. I'm not joking. It won't be a week that that $49.99 teddy bear is at Goodwill for $4.99. I'm telling you, I know. I've seen it. It's a money-making thing, but you know what? You know what Valentine's Day reminds me of? It reminds me of thinking about others. It's a time where we don't just think about ourselves. We think about the people that we love. We think about other people. And I believe that God wants his people and desires out of his people to think about others. We talked about this morning here out of 2 Timothy in chapter number 4. We read those first eight verses And in verse number 5, Paul says this, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, my time of departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Not to me only but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do you realize that um, we are or should be doers of God's word, 
not for the reward that we get on earth, but the reward we get in heaven. Do you know the reward that we get on earth is fleeting? Is it not? You ever get, you ever get, you ever get money? I mean, you ever get unexpected money? And you think to yourself, praise God. I mean, you get this money and then, and then it's inevitable. Right? It's absolutely inevitable. I'm always afraid of getting money. Because I know there's a bill coming really soon. I know something's going to happen really soon. I know one of my vehicles is going to break down really soon. And guess what? Have you, have you noticed you can't take your car in without it being $1,000, or $1,500, or $2,000 to get it fixed? Have you noticed that when they want money, they want it right now, but when they're giving money, they take their time? You ever notice that? And this money comes in, and you think to yourself, all right, and then somebody owes somebody this, and you owe somebody that, and pretty soon you're looking at your empty hand that you were looking at before. And you use these terms. You, you, you ever use this terminology? Easy come, easy go. There it goes out the window. So-and-so needs this, and so-and-so needs that, and, and, and so-and-so, I, I got I to get this part fixed, and I've got to pay this, and I've got to, and I've got to, and I've got to. And praise God for the times so those things come in so that we can pay those things. But I'm telling you, we have got God's people. God's people have got to get in tune to doing what we do, not for what we get, but doing what we do for the Lord Jesus Christ. And understand this, doing, and I said this, this statement just a minute ago, we do what we do for not what we get here, but for what we get there. But it's not even for what we get there. Because why do we get what we get there? So we can give it back, right? So we have something to lay back at the feet of Jesus. So that we have something to say thank you. Not so that we can walk around wearing a crown. Not that, so that we can uh, have our, our, our mantles and, and our walls full of plaques of all of our accomplishments and all the things that we've done. You won't have to worry about anybody in heaven dislocating their shoulder from patting themselves on the back won't happen in heaven. Why? Because what we do is for a purpose. What we do is for a reason. And what we do always points to the Lord Jesus Christ. It will there and it should here. Why do we do what we do? Uh, we do what we do for the Lord. And God's people must be goers. God's people must be doers. James 1 and 22 says, doers of the word and not hearers only. So when you know, we talked about it this morning, you remember, when you know, go. When you know, go. The steps of a good man, they're ordered by the Lord. And God will order our steps. He will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We are goers. And we need to go. How do we need to go? Number one, we need to go as witnesses. We need to go as witnesses. The churches of Macedonia. I love the very little we know 
about the churches of Macedonia. They were something. They were commended for their going. They were commended for their giving. They were commended for their giving in their poverty. Well, I don't give because I don't have anything. Well, what about the churches of Macedonia who gave in their poverty, who were goers and doers in their afflictions? What was the secret? Do you remember the passage of Scripture where it talks about the Macedonian churches? What was their secret? Of the Macedonian churches. Starts off right off the beginning when it talks about the churches. They first gave of themselves. They first gave of themselves. Before they gave a penny, before they did a thing, they consecrated themselves to the Lord. Listen to me. The Lord knows if He's got you. He's got your paycheck. If he's got you, he's got your car. If he's got you, he's got your home. If he's got you, he's got your material things. If he has you. So often we have a problem with giving because we haven't first given of ourselves. So often we have a problem with going and doing because we haven't first Given of ourselves. Given ourselves up to the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the secret to the Macedonian churches. This is interesting. If you look it up in the King James Bible, just the word go. Not goes, not goeth. Just the word go is used 1,352 times. Just the word go. Over, and by the way, let me tell you what go is. It's an action word. Not a passive word. When it says go, what does it mean? It means to get up and get moving. When you say to your children, or when you say to your grandchildren, it's time to go. You don't expect them to wait another 30 minutes. You expect them to get up and go. We're ready. Let's go. God has told us. God has told the people of God. God has told Israel. God has told the church over and over and over and over again to go. But look how passive we end up being. Instead of going, we're doing a lot of sitting. Instead of doing, we're doing a lot of talking. Talk, 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 talk. Well, God says, it's okay to talk. There's nothing wrong about talking. But it's time to get up and go. The Bible tells us throughout the Word of God, that, um, that our time is short. James said it's just a vapor. Right? The Bible says uh, uh, in the book of Ephesians that it is high 
time that we awake out of sleep, out of our slumber. I'll tell you what the, what the devil has been success, successful at doing, lulling the church to sleep. The things we once stood for, we don't stand for anymore. I mean, the church has so compromised in our modern world today that it's hardly recognizable as a church anymore. I mean, it's hardly recognizable as a church. I just talked to somebody the other day. They moved, and uh, they're out of town, and uh, we, got, we got to talking, and um, this person told me with just tears in their eyes, I've been searching and searching and searching, and I can't find anything. So, yeah, I went to this church, and man, they're, they're, they went off the rails on this, and I went to a church, and they got, now, now listen to me. Now, I told this person, like I've told everybody else that I've ever talked to, you're not going to find your church everywhere you move. I'm sorry. All preachers are different. All churches are different. All, and it's just the way it is. But man, you talk about a struggle. It, it's, it used to be used to show up. Did you, did you realize? Maybe you don't realize this. Did you realize back in, a day, in the day you could show up at a Presbyterian church and you'd hear the Word of God? I'm here to tell you, John R. Rice, which many of you know who he is, and uh, Sword of Lord, and he, he had Presbyterian preachers come preach for him and preach for the sword. You used to be able to go and you'd walk into a Methodist church and you'd hear the gospel. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot of denominations uh, that believed. Now, there are little differences. Don't misunderstand me. There have always been a little differences. But you can, put those, you can put those differences in just the palm of your hand. Oh, not no more today. And by the way, I'm not picking on Presbyterians or Methodists. You could go to a Baptist church. It says Baptist on it. You go in there, and they're off the rails on what they believe. Off the rails on what they think. I mean, we've got Baptists that, that are ordaining homosexuals into the ministry. Do what? We've got churches, listen to me, I, I just it, it absolutely drives me bonkers. We've got churches who are bringing in drag queens into the church... To do presentations. Church? We're calling this church? We're getting, listen, what my preacher said years and years and years ago. Maybe not, not the greatest little saying, but it's, we've got preacherettes preaching sermonettes, smoking cigarettes. <laughs> so as we... I mean, we got any more in our, in our churches today. We've got preachers that are getting up, and man, they just, they don't, they don't preach the Word. Many of them don't even open the Bible. They're, at best, got the Reader's Digest version of the Word of God, telling great stories, making people feel good, talking about how we can live through positive thinking. If you'll just think more positively, you'll have more money in your pocket. 
If you just think more positively, things will go better for you in your life. If you think, just think more positively, you'll get a raise at work. How this draws people, I don't know. Because I'll tell you something, I can think as positive as I want to. It doesn't, make, make, it doesn't mean money's going to go in my pocket. I can think as positively as I want to. It doesn't mean that my eyesight's going to uh, uh, be better overnight. Thinking positively, I, where do we get this stuff? By the way, there's nothing new under the sun. You can go back far enough, you can find this fables. As he's talking about in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that we just read uh, this morning, these fables that people are starting to believe, they're not living by sound doctrine anymore. God's people need to be God's people, whether in church, whether they're in their homes, whether they're in school, whether they're at their workplace, you ought to be the same no matter where you go. You ought to be a doer of God's word. You ought to be a goer no matter where you are. We must learn to proclaim with our mouth that which we believed in our hearts. We must proclaim with our mouth that's what, that which we say that we believe in our hearts. We, we love to talk about what we believe. I, I believe this. Listen to me. I can believe all that I want to that I'm a brain surgeon. But you need more than brain surgery if you come to me for brain surgery. God, I'm telling you right now, I mean, it, I can say that I'm something all that I want to. I'll give you another example. When you go to a doctor, right, what do you want out of that doctor? Confidence. You want to know the doctor's competent. You want to know the doctor knows what he or she is talking about. You want to, listen, most of us, most of us aren't looking to have open heart surgery from a guy that just graduated from college. Some, some of us might be brave to do that, right? But you know what most of us want? We want a young guy that's got 40 years of experience. Kind of like church, you know. We want somebody that's young and vibrant, but he has, you know, 35 years of experience that don't exist, right? I mean, you can't have experience and be, you know, and be young. And so, but we want this guy to know what he's doing. We want him to know what he's talking about. I went to the eye doctor. I'm sitting in the chair. I now no longer have pigmentary glaucoma. I said, okay, great. What do I have? Hold on a second. He takes out his phone. His cell phone. Same one you're carrying. Looks in my eyes. Googles glaucoma. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Ask my wife. We're both sitting there. Starts scrolling down. Looking at examples of what my eye looks like. Looks, no, that's probably not it. Looks back in my eye, 
starts, goes, starts going down again. I'm thinking to myself, okay, confidence, out the window. By the way, a glaucoma specialist. Now, you may do that, right? Because you don't know everything. Even as a doctor, you don't know everything. But you don't do it in front of a patient. While he's sitting there and seeing the pictures with you. Yeah, I think, now I think it's ghost cell glaucoma. Now I have ghost cell glaucoma. Well, now I don't have a doctor. <laughs> now I'm going to see, seek a second opinion. Why? Because you want, what do you want? You want confidence, right? You want confidence. If you have confidence in somebody, you'll go the extra mile. You have confidence in somebody, you'll do the surgery if they tell you to do surgery. You got confidence in somebody, they tell you to do this, you're going to do this, right? Why? Because you have confidence in them. When you lose confidence and they tell you, you should do such and such, you, say, you think, you're, you know what your first thought is? I wonder if he's sure. I wonder if she really knows what she's talking about. But you see, with God... We can always have confidence. We can have confidence in knowing that God knows what he's doing. We can have confidence in knowing that God knows what he's talking about. Let me tell you something God doesn't need. You ready? Here it is. Blow your mind. God doesn't need Google. Because he knows everything already. Right? He's already knowledgeable of all things. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. Listen to me. That exudes confidence. Confidence in God. And if I have confidence in God, then when God says go, I'm going to go. When God says do, then I'm going to do. If God's directing you to do something, now I'm not advocating we don't pray because the second point that we're going to talk about is if you're in doubt, cry out, right? So prayer is important. So I'm not downplaying prayer, but if I know that this is the will of God, then get to stepping. Stop using prayer as an excuse for doing nothing. That's what we do. We often say, well, you know, God's really led me to... Give such and such, but I'm still praying about it. You've been praying about it for six years. Mm. God's really leading me to, I don't know how many times I've had this happen to me. And some of you may have had it happen to you, but as a pastor, I've had this happen to me. I'll have people come to me and I'll have people say to me, look, preacher, we're, um, we're going we're gonna to be leaving. God told me to do X, Y, and Z. Now, I'm not the guy. If Penny comes to me and says to me, don't bother. But if Penny comes to me and says to me, I'm leaving the church because God's really leading me to go somewhere else. I'm not going to say to Penny, oh, listen, Penny, God doesn't know what he's talking about. And then when some people, some people say, oh, oh, no, please don't, please, no, no, no. Penny's not coming to me for advice. She's coming to me telling me this is what God is leading me to do. Who in the world do you think we are overriding what God says? Right? We're, we're not, oh, now, mind you, I get it. Sometimes that's an excuse. God told me, okay, I get that. 
But if you really feel like God has told you something, then you better get to stepping. You better get to doing it. Why? Because God said it. And if God said it, folks, that settles it. We can take it to the bank. Why? Because we have confidence in God. We must learn to proclaim with our mouth that which we say that we have believed in our hearts. Be a goer. Go as a witness. You've heard the song before, right? Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain. That's, isn't, that, isn't that what our mantra should be? You know, what, is the, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Bible says, go and be witnesses. By the way, in case you didn't know this, the same Greek word that's used there is the same Greek word for the word murder. You know what a martyr is, right? Martyr is someone who gives their life for Jesus Christ. William Tyndale, you want to read about a great man of God? Read about William Tyndale. He's just one, but he was a martyr. He ended up dying, he ended up burning at the stake for what he believed in, for what he stood for. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine dying? Because you believe that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. Can you imagine being persecuted because you believe that Jesus is the one and only way to heaven? Can you imagine facing tribulation and facing problems and being asked to recant what you believe because you believe the Bible and the Bible alone? So some of these, so some of these men and women faced, and 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 went to the stake and went to the gallows and went and, and were hung and all these people that gave their life. That word martyr means literally giving your life. You know what you should be as a witness, a, a martyr, giving up your life in life for the Lord Jesus Christ. You realize, right? I, I know you do. I, I know you already realize this that this life is not yours anyways. It all belongs to God. When you got saved, you know what the Bible says, right? What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and you are bought with a price. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Jesus Christ... Uh, owns us. The things that we do in our bodies, uh, this is Jesus' body, and we're just uh, here temporary uh, in this body, and what we should be, should be doing, we should be giving it over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And though the world has never been more selfish than it is today, never thought more about itself than it has today. You know we're in a mess, right? I mean, I mean, you, I mean you've got to be, I mean, you've got to be completely and utterly blinded to not know that we're in a mess in our country. Take politics out of it. I, you know what? I, I, I'm not a... I don't, love, I don't love talking about politics either. You get me going, though, I'll, 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 love, I'll, you know, I'll talk to you about it. But I'm not going out of my way to talk about it. 
Take politics out of it. We are in a mess in our country. We're a mess in our churches. So-called churches. The things that are going on anymore in our churches, let me tell you what's taken number one. Let me tell you what's taken first place, entertainment. Don't misunderstand me. I believe there's a, there's a place for entertainment. I really do. I think that there are times that, that uh, you know, you, you go to concerts, and sometimes those concerts are, are, are spiritual events, and sometimes they're entertainment. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with entertainment, but I'm telling you when the church is more concerned about entertaining the world than it is reaching the world, we've run into problems. We've run into troubles. When we're more interested in drawing the world in so that we can have a bigger number rather than being a witness, rather than being a lighthouse, do you realize that that's what God's called Rinkin Baptist Temple to be? Is a lighthouse that begins right here in our own community, in our own neighborhoods, in our own state, in our own country, and then ultimately around the world? We are, we're up now in our faith promise up to over 50,000 now, which is a little short, but look around you folks. People that have moved, people that have passed away. I mean, this has been unprecedented through the years. And boy, let me tell you something. You know what this church is about? It's about reaching people. It's about missions. It's about being a witness. We ought to be letting our light shine, and we ought to be shining it bright. You got to go to a place that you didn't want to go to? How many people, let me tell you, how many people enjoy being uh, committed to the hospital? I mean, you just love it. You love sleeping in the beds there. I mean, you love the doctors. You love the nurses coming in and out, waking you up at every... Uh, That's my favorite part, by the way. So the nurse comes in and wakes you up, turns on all the lights, takes your whatever, all your vitals to you, and then goes to turn a light off and says, now, now, now you rest. What's the point? You're going to be in here in an hour. I mean, I don't know, or two hours or however long. I know they're just doing their jobs, and I'm thankful for them. I'm just telling you, nobody's excited. Nobody gets excited about the opportunity to go to, to, go to the hospital, to go to the emergency room. Have you been? to the emergency room lately. I, don't, I already told Wendy. I was, take, plot me in the back of the car and drive me clear to Jacksonville. So, somewhere, if I die on the way, so be the will of God. But I, I, some, of these, some of these emergency rooms are absolutely unbelievable. And then you're sitting there, you're waiting... And the person on this side is hacking their brains out and not covering their mouth. This person on this side is bleeding all over the place. They could have hepatitis or any other uh, uh, disease. And, and you're sitting in the middle going, you know, praying that, you know, you have your own problems. You don't want this and you don't want that. 
I mean, nobody gets excited about that. But do you know the opportunities that you have when you go to that place? I remember when Wendy was in. 12 days, I think, we ended up being in. Three different surgeries. It was, it was, it was bad. It was really bad. But you know that Wendy still keeps into contact with some of them nurses? I mean, they'd love coming. They'd come into her room to take their breaks. I mean, they'd come in. They'd bring their food. It was time to break. They'd come in, bring their food, and talk to Wendy. And she'd, she, she, it was like they, they were all younger. It was like she was, their, she was their mom. She was certainly their spiritual mom. And they'd come in there, and she just, uh, I mean, sometimes she didn't feel good. Most of the time, she didn't feel good. A lot of times, she was in pain. Man, she saw the opportunity to witness to these girls and young, young guys and, and, and be a blessing and a help to them. Because you may not want to be in this place. You might not want to be in this situation. But maybe God has got you there for such a time as this. Maybe God's got you there because he's going to bring somebody along. I always think about that woman at the well. Where was she from? Samaria. Who did the Jews just absolutely love? Not the Samaritans. Matter of fact, it is a well-known historical fact that when they were traveling, if it was faster to go straight through Samaria to get to their destination, they would go all the way around Samaria just so they didn't have to go through Samaria. They didn't like them. They couldn't stand them. There was a place back home. We used to go up to the cemetery. I say the cemetery because it was like one. And it was this humongous cemetery where I lived, and they had this gazebo. Ever seen a gazebo at a cemetery? They make them look really satanic. We used to go up there. I told, I told you, we were bad kids. We used to go up there, and we'd sit in this gazebo in the middle of the night, like 2 o'clock in the morning. We'd light candles, and we'd play with the Ouija board. Stupid. I'm just, just stupid kids. Right next to the cemetery. Who in the world would want to live next to a cemetery is beyond me. But right next to the cemetery is this mansion of a house that has been empty since I was a, since I was a kid. I, I've never known anybody to live there. We called it the haunted house. And I'm telling you, as bad as all the kids were, as bad as everybody was, they'd walk all the way around the cemetery not to go by that house. Except for us. We'd, still, we'd, get up in the, we'd get up in the windows of that house, and when somebody walked by, we'd flash a light, and they'd think they saw somebody's eyeballs and scream and holler. We loved it. We thought it was the greatest thing ever. House was not haunted, but whatever. But they'd walk all the way around. Let me tell you what the Jews, Jews, Jews would do. They'd walk all the way around Samaria because they didn't want anything to do with Samaria. Can you imagine their expression on their face when Jesus made that statement. I must needs go to Samaria. Go through where? We don't like that place. We don't want to go to that place. You know what Jesus' point was? I've got an appointment 
that I need to keep in Samaria. What was that appointment? That appointment was with that Samaritan woman at the well, the woman of the well. That was his appointment. And he needed to go through there. And God brings us through things for a purpose. We talked about Romans 8, 28 this morning, that God's working all things out. He's working all things together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his, not your purpose, not my purpose, not the church's purpose, but God's purpose. God works these things out, even if you don't understand them. There goes the confidence again, right? We have confidence in God, even though we can't see tomorrow, we know God can, so we trust him. We don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And we take that next step. Why? Because we trust God. Have you ever done a, um, one of those exercises, one of those trust exercises? And you stand in front of somebody, and somebody stands behind you, and you fall backwards and let them catch you. Yeah. You got that right. I can't think of, I couldn't think of it. When I was younger, I couldn't think of anybody that I trusted that much. My friends would move out of the way. I know what my friends would do. How do I know that? Because that's what I would do. And I know I'd hit the ground. I said, you, you talk about trusting somebody? You got to trust them that they're going to catch you. When my kids were little, whatever dad said went. I mean, whatever. They, if I put them up on a, on a car and told them to jump, they never even thought about it. Just, just leaped. And when they did, you're thinking to yourself, okay, you better catch them. And you forget trust. Your wife's going to kill you. You drop the kid. And as they got bigger, I'll tell you something, I put, well, I ain't putting none of them up on a car. But if I, they climbed up on a car, and I stood out there and I said, all right, Kyle, jump. Well, and that's a bad example. Kyle probably would jump and jump on top of my head. But tell one of the ghosts, jump! And they're going to be like, Daddy, you are outside of your mind. You're, you, not only will you not catch me, but you're not going to be able to catch me. The confidence has kind of wavered a little bit, right? But our confidence in God should never waver. Our faith in God should do nothing but grow. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Do you know our faith grows every time God hears and answers prayer? Our faith is strengthened. Our confidence is strengthened in God. And you know what confidence does? Confidence helps us to make that next step. To make that next step. God says it's good, then it's good. God says to go, then you can go, because you can always believe him. People, not so much. Can't always trust people. Can't always have confidence in people, though you want to. Sometimes our faith can waver in people, but our faith never should waver in God. So when God says be a doer of his word, we have confidence that it's God that said it. God says go, then go. He didn't say there wouldn't be bumps. He didn't say there wouldn't be potholes. He didn't say there wouldn't be problems. He just said go. And wherever God says go is the best place for your feet to land.
in life. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight and thank you for your love for us and thank you for the opportunity to meet together. Thank you for your word. And I pray tonight, Lord, that your word would penetrate our hearts. Your word would speak to us like we know only your word can. I pray you would uh, just help us uh, each day and every day to live for you, to honor you uh, with our lives. Lord, not just our lips, but with our lives as witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria into the uttermost parts of the earth. I pray that you'd help this church, help our, our homes, help us as individuals to be always a lighthouse wherever we go. A lighthouse pointing people to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Give us a good week this week. I pray you'd help us uh, uh, to see the opportunities that you set before us and be doers this week of your word and not just hearers only. And we'll be careful to give you the praise, honor, and glory for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Two